Have you ever had somebody ask you if you're angry and your first reaction is, no, I'm not angry. And, and this person knows you and they're like, we need to tell your face. Because this thing you got going on here and the veins that are sticking out of your neck say you're angry. I'm not real good with this, but I'm, I'm thinking you're angry. So I, did, I was going to do this thing where I was going to put pictures up and say angry or not angry. But when I looked online, the angry pictures are staged. They're fake. I was going, you're not angry. You're trying to look angry. Because let, let me ask you, if you know people who are brown-eyed, do you ever have to wonder if brown-eyed people are angry? You wonder if they're evil, right? When we, when we cross, and I'm one of those, when we cross a certain line, you're like, Satan, come out, you know? Because there's just, and, and I'm married to a blue-eyed, beautiful girl, and, and she gets mad, and I see flashes of anger, but it's just cute, you know? It's just, I'm, I just can't be intimidated by blue-eyed anger. She's not even in here, so y'all don't have to look at her. You can tell her later. It's just, I mean, she's adorable anyway, and when she gets mad, it's pretty sexy. She has never told me that I'm sexy when I'm angry. When I cross that evil thing, she, you know what I'm saying? Um, I think, and I'm the, this is just totally my making this up because it's not in the scripture. I think David's oldest brother, Eliab, I think he must have had brown eyes. And I'm, I, I just think that, but I'm going to read the scripture. and maybe, maybe you'll get there. Because if you've been paying any attention in our series, right? We've been talking about giants. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the giant of fear. And then we talked about um, the giant of rejection. Last week, we talked about the giant of comfort. And, and we got really uncomfortable if you were in the room or if you were watching that, that um, sermon. Today, we're going to talk about the, the giant of anger. And whether you realize it or not, the giant of anger was, was there in the Valley of Allah. Now, you remember, the Israelites are on one side. They're on a hill. The Philistines are on the other. The Valley of Allah is in the middle. And every day Goliath comes out. Now, David is just doing what his daddy had sent him to do. He's taking a picnic basket to his brothers, checking on his brothers, supposed to come back. And David hears the giant taunting Israel and their God. And he's like, dude, what's going to happen to the person who takes him out, who shuts up this giant? Here we pick up the giant of anger. And it's not with, with Goliath. It's with the oldest brother. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, and, and you need to remember the oldest brother because how many of you have older brothers or older siblings, right? Remember the oldest. If you are one of those, I'm sorry. This may deal with you today. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he did what with anger? Burned with anger. I don't think he had blue eyes. Because I don't think you would describe him as burning with anger if he had blue eyes. I'm sorry, blue-eyed people. Y'all can get hopping mad, but it's like a little cheap, cheap, cheap. I don't know. Um, <laughs> y'all going to get mad at me right now, and you're going to show me different, but that's okay. He burned with anger at him and asked, "Why?" I just think he had his teeth gripped. Why have you come down here, punk? And with whom did you leave those? How many sheep? He's diminishing. He's belittling his younger brother. Dude. You just have a small little job. Who's taking care of your small little job in the wilderness? And then he says, then he, then he escalates. I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now, the reason we're dealing with anger today, even though we read these verses three weeks ago, is because anger is a secondary emotion, right? This is on your listening guide. Anger is a secondary emotion. That means something has to happen before you get angry. 
In Eliab's case, we talked about this, something happened three or four years in his past that caused him to get angry. And that's that younger brother, baby brother, was chosen to be the king of of Israel when Eliab, the first to come before the prophet, was rejected. And so this whole idea of of being rejected as being the next king has been festering for several years. And you need to know that most anger is rooted in some form of rejection. Something that was said that shouldn't have been said, something that wasn't said that needed to be said, something that was repeatedly done to you that should not have happened, something you were deserving of as just a human being, but you were denied for whatever reason. There's a hurt, there's a wound, there's a stab in your past. And first you're hurt, and then after hurt, what happens? We get angry. But there was also fear in the valley that day. That, that leads to anger. Have you ever been in a near wreck? What happens immediately after you're like, ah! ah! I mean, it's like that, right? And if you're a dude with brown eyes, you might just press on the gas to tell that dude how you feel in the name of Jesus. I know y'all are that godly. First there's fear and then comes anger. When your kids go missing for a few minutes, there is sheer panic. When you find them, you're relieved, and then you're what? Don't ever do that to me again, right? Both rejection and fear, I believe, were, were at work in Eliab that day in the valley, and I think there was probably jealousy as well, and it's been festering for about three to four years before they ever show up in the valley with Goliath. Um, so fear had been going on for three or four years. Re- I'm sorry, rejection had been going on for three or four years. Fear had been going on for at least 40 days. Every time Goliath came out, it says that all of the Israelites, including Eliab, Abinadab, and, and Shema, they all take off running in fear. So for 40 days, that's been going on. Um, <laughs> at least for that long, it's been happening, but there's more. <laughs> Eliab, I think, he already knows about the favor of God that's on David, right? Because he was there when David was chosen. David wasn't even in the, in the lineup when, when, um, when Samuel goes through all of the brothers and says, nope, 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 nope. Is there another one? Because he's not here. And they wait for him. So he already knows he's been anointed king. But I think Eliab had probably heard the stories of his younger brother killing a lion, killing a bear when he's out shepherding. And, and either, either Eliab is, is secretly impressed going, dang, my bro- baby brother is pretty cool. But he'd never tell baby brother that, right? He'd never, never build him up. Or he's skeptical going, I think he's making this story up. You older brothers know how you are. I'm a baby brother, so I know it from one side. He may have been um, upset too because can you imagine the, the resentment? Because even David's musical skill is on, on display for all to see. He can play the harp, and he was so advanced at playing the harp that he's chosen by King Saul to come play before King Saul. Let me show you what happens. In 1 Samuel 16, 14, it says this, but the Lord's spirit had left Saul. What had the Lord's spirit done? Had left him because Saul had rejected God. And then an evil, of, evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. Now, people get upset with this. How can an evil spirit come from the Lord? Here's what I believe happened. I believe because King Saul was the king of Israel that Satan and his demons had always wanted access to King Saul, but he didn't get access to King Saul until King Saul rejected God on two specific occasions. Blatantly disobeyed God in front of everybody. God removes his hand and says, okay, Satan and demons have at him. 
That's what it means that he's from the Lord. They couldn't attack him unless the Lord allowed him to. Now, because of his disobedience, God says, have full access to him. Now, when this, when this evil spirit came upon Saul, the Bible tells us he was tormented. He went into some kind of deep, dark, depressive funk. And, and somebody said, hey, I, I don't know why this came up. Somebody goes, hey, music helps. And they said, we should find somebody in the land who's really good at music. And every time this spirit comes upon you, let's let him play for you. And everybody's like, that's a great idea. And listen to what happens in verse 18 of 1 Samuel 16. One of the servants said, I've seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem play the harp. Check this out. Talk about golden child. He's brave. He's courageous. He's a good speaker. He's handsome. And the Lord is where? With him. And so whenever King Saul suffered torment, they would bring David in. And the Bible tells us when he played his harp, and I don't know if he sang, but we know he played his harp, that the spirit left him. Can you see what God's doing? David's already been anointed the next king, and, and, and God brings him into the presence of Saul. And if you're Eliab, the oldest brother, you're thinking, how lucky can one guy get? But can I tell you, luck had nothing to do with it. God had everything to do with it. Now, firefighters know that you must respond to a fire quickly if you're going to get it under control. Because if you don't respond quickly enough, what happens to the fire? Does it remain under control? Like the wildfires out near Abilene. They're going crazy, right? Because, because they, th- that's what they do. And, and what you want to hear, if, if you're one of those people and, and the fire is coming towards your house, you want to hear that the fire is contained. Not 50% contained, not 75%. You want 100% contained. And actually better than contained is out right? It's still burning if it's contained. I want it out. The structure is going to be burned down if it's not, if they don't respond to the fire quickly. The, um, the forest is going to be burned down if they don't respond quickly enough. The container ship, did you hear about the container ship with 4,000 luxury cars that caught on fire in the middle of the Atlantic? I'm talking Lamborghinis, Bentleys, Porsches, 4,000 of them were on this ship coming to America to be sold. It catches on fire. Evidently, the fire was bad because they evacuate all of the crew. It's like 30 or 40 crew. And so for days, it's just floating around out there burning. And I'm thinking, something's wrong with this picture. So then when it finally burns out, they thought maybe we should try to salvage the ship and the 4,000 cars. So they go and they tow it. They're towing it towards, um, uh, I don't remember the islands, but they're towing it out there. They're about 220 miles from an island, and all of a sudden the seas get rough and there was enough damage that it goes 4,000 luxury cars on the bottom of the ocean because somebody didn't respond quickly enough to a fire. If you don't respond quickly to the flames of anger in your life, You're going to be like that container ship. You're going down. Everything you love is going down. And it's going to be at the bottom of the ocean. It's going to be a total loss. And honestly, I would rather see a luxury, uh, luxury cars, 4,000 luxury cars at the bottom of the ocean than see the destruction I see in marriages when anger gets out of control and it burns everyone down. So let's look at this. Anger is an emotional agitation. I like that, an emotional agitation. That occurs when a need or an expectation is not met. A need or expectation. A need can be, is legitimate. Expectations are sometimes unrealistic. Would you agree with me? And like heat, anger has many degrees. So let me just show you some of these, ranging from mild irritation to hot explosion. The first is indignation. Indignation is a simmering anger. We're provoked by something unjust, and it's often perceived by us. Our anger is justified. We call it righteous indignation. But let me tell you something. 
If you let the sun go down, even on your simmering indignation, you have sinned. And you're giving the, the devil an opportunity to come into your life because it doesn't stay simmering, does it? No fire stays simmering. What happens? The next thing is wrath. One step up, burning anger accompanied by a desire to avenge. I want you to say avenge. Thank you. Now we move to fury, which is fiery anger. And look at this, so fierce that it destroys common sense. You ever lost your ever-loving mind? There's two times I have done that and just lost my ever-loving mind. And, and it's not a pretty sight. It hadn't been recently. You'd, you'll be happy to know. And then fury goes to rage, which is blazing anger and a complete loss of self-control, often with the extreme of violence and temporary insanity. So let me ask you a question. Is it a sin for a person to be angry? No, that is the correct answer. Anger is a God-given emotion. Here's what determines whether it's sin or not. It's the way you express anger determines if it is sin or not because the Bible tells us very clearly in Ephesians 4.26, in your anger do not, what's that last word? Sin. Your anger is actually this signal, this warning signal. It's like that light on your dashboard that most of you ignore until the engine falls out the bottom of the car. Oh, something's wrong, right? It should, it should cause you, anger should cause you to say, hey, something's wrong, and I need to figure out what's wrong. I need to address it so that I do not sin. There's four possible, well, there's more than this, but primary causes of anger. Number one is hurt. Your heart is wounded. And we all know what that's like. You're hurt first, and then you get angry. Injustice, your right is violated. There's times legitimate rights are violated. We've seen that in our country. There's fear your future is threatened or your children's future is threatened for you mama bears. And then there's frustration. Your effort is unsuccessful. So in the valley of Allah, nothing is happening except Goliath is taunting the, the armies of the living God and the golden child shows up and starts asking questions and the non-golden child gets hopping mad. Was the non-golden child, Eliab, was his anger justified, yes or no? That is not a trick question. Was his anger justified, yes or no? No, it was not. And we'll show you why in case you have some, some questions about this. So let me, let me give you two things. I'm going to give you a caution. I'm going to give you a guarantee. Here's the caution. Your anger can burn someone else's life down, and we've seen it, right? Someone else's anger has hurt you or hurt somebody you love. Let me give you a guarantee. If your anger, if you do not handle anger correctly, your anger will burn your life down and you'll be like a container ship on the bottom of the ocean. All kinds of possible treasures that are going to do no one any good because you have burned your own life down. So let's look at some things. The first one I want to, I want to acknowledge is there is wrongly felt anger, right? So something never really happened. You thought it happened. This was our whole uh, series I said this, you heard that, when, when, and everybody loved that series, and we're like, oh, man, now I understand when we find out our personalities, how this person can, can misunderstand this person, and we have to work at that. Something never really happened, but you thought it happened. They never really said what you thought they said, and when you have wrongly felt anger, very often it's wrongly expressed anger, 
It's real anger, but it's wrongly expressed. And when that happens, there's one letter that's missing that that you really don't want to go in front of your anger when it's wrongly felt and wrongly expressed. And that's a D, and it comes out as danger. When you're angry, you are very close to danger. And you need to understand that. Anytime you have simmering anger, there's danger that can quickly escalate. And so, do you know there's another, go ahead with that next slide. There's another, do you know what you call wrongly felt anger, wrongly expressed? Three-letter word, sin. Now, there's rightly felt anger, wrongly expressed. You have a legitimate reason to be angry, but, but the way you're expressing your anger comes across in wrong ways. Your anger blows up bridges, and it damages you, and it damages people around you. Do you know another word for rightly felt anger, wrongly expressed? It's a three-letter word we just said. Sin. Then you have rightly felt anger that is never expressed. You're angry, and probably everybody around you already knows it. But when asked, you stuff it. I'm fine. Has a woman ever been fine who says, I'm fine? In the history of women. <laughs> and they are not fine now because the dudes have just crossed a line. You're not even going to have to ask them if they're mad when church is over today. <laughs> the point is you need, to, you need to examine your anger and figure out which category it goes in. And if you know anything about God in the Bible, which is the only appropriate way to handle sin. It's this next one, rightly felt anger, rightly expressed. So rightly, okay, go back to that one. I'm sorry, I skipped that. Rightly felt anger that is never expressed is sin. If you don't want it to be sin, we got to move on to the next one. Rightly felt anger, rightly expressed. And I think this is the most rare thing in the history of the world. Rightly felt anger, rightly expressed. Would you agree with me? I mean, I was trying to think of a percentage and I don't... I don't think it's 10% of anger is rightly felt and rightly expressed. I'm just guessing. I don't know. That's why I printed out this handout. I want, I want you to get, have some tools to begin getting a handle on your anger. So if you want it not to be sin, it's got to be rightly felt anger, rightly expressed. That is not sin. Now, from what we just talked about, these four categories, which category did Eliab's anger fall into? Category number one. Wrongly felt anger, wrongly expressed. See, many times anger reveals our inability to deal with life God's way. Anger is a legitimate emotion, but it's secondary, and there's always a cause. We need to figure out the cause. So Eliab is like, why are you even here? Who's doing your boy-sized job? <laughs> He's not attacking the problem, is, it? is he? What's he attacking? Who's he attacking? His baby brother. And, it, and more than once in my life, and more than once in the history of this church, I have said to people, dude, you're angry and I'm not your problem. I'm not your anger problem. I'm not perfect and, and I may have done some things that offended you, but, but you were angry long before I met you. And you're going to be angry long after you leave this church. And I've watched those prophecies come true. Eliab's saying, I'm the man here. You're the boy with a boy-sized job. And you're not even doing your boy-sized job at the moment. Leave the man-sized job to the man in our conversation. That's me. Side note. 
Why is Eliab not embarrassed that no man-sized work was going on? For 40 days, not a single thing was happening. I'm enough of a punk younger brother to go, question. Why is there no man-sized work going on, Mr. Man? That's why I'm not David in the story, because I'd blow it. If you're a little brother or a little sister, what do you crave from your oldest siblings? Do you crave condemnation or do you crave affirmation? Which one do you usually get? You usually get condemnation. And, and I'm not trying to just beat up older siblings, but I want you to see how, how this story could have been different. If oldest brother said, I got you, little bro. Don't, don't worry about that guy down there. I'm going to go fight him. You just go back and, and, and your, your job's important. You, you're, you're learning about God. and You're going to be the king and I get to be the older brother of the king. How cool is that? That's not what he got, was it? I've got your back today. I'll have your back when you're the king. Oh, man. We'd be singing Eliab's praises. Instead of using him as, as the punchline for a, a really bad joke. Eliab opened up a whole can of condemnation. He says, I know how conceited you are and how wicked your what is. Okay. When you start making judgments about another person's heart, there should be all kinds of warning signs. Warning, 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 warning. Because you're on dangerous ground. When Eliab said, I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is, what I think he was really saying was, for everyone to hear, I know how conceited I am and I know how wicked my heart is. That's what angry people do is they try to put the blame on someone else. Everybody in the valley that day heard Eliab's heart and I think they all knew why he was rejected as king. I don't want you to miss this, and so it's on your listening guide. Character assassinations against others are usually character confessions about ourselves. The louder you're mouthing off about someone else, the more you're declaring in the valley of a law. I know how angry I am. I know how conceited I am. I know how wicked my heart is. See, in 1 Samuel 15, we find that, that God rejected King Saul, because of the condition of his heart. In 1 Samuel 16, we find out why. I mean, I'm, I'm not making this up. We find out why God rejected um, Eliab. And so he says this. When they arrived, talking about the seven brothers of David, he was, he was not in, invited, seven sons of Jesse, seven of the eight. Samuel, who's the prophet of God, who's the most holy person in, in um, Israel. We have two books of the Bible written by Samuel, the prophet Samuel. And the prophet Samuel, who's God's mouthpiece to the, to the nation, says, oh my goodness, Eliab's got to be king. That's what he says. He saw Eliab and he thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here. This dude looks like a king. He's, he's old, he's, he's older, he's handsome, he's strong, he's, he looks the part. And, and if you're not careful, you're going to think that you're going to equate him with Saul. Saul looked the part, but he had a wicked heart. And evidently, so did Eliab. Because look what God says. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have, what is that word? 
So there's your rejection. It's just out in the open. Rejected him. Why? The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the what? When God looked at Eliab's heart, he said, his heart disqualifies him to serve as king. Not him. And then the next brother, not him, not him, not him. See, God already knew that he had a bad heart, but this simmering anger over three or four years exploded in the valley of Allah, and everybody else was like, ooh, God knows what he's talking about. Eliab was rejected, and rejection is like a slap in the face. Rejection hurts. But what does rejection turn to over time? It turns into anger. So as Eliab stood there not fighting the enemy, his heart caught fire, his house caught fire, and it began to burn right in front of everybody. He was passed over in public, and now he was confirming in public why God passed him over. So let me ask you a question. Have you ever been passed over? How did that feel? Did you ever resolve that rejection? Because if you didn't, there's simmering anger. And all it takes is a little bit of oxygen, a little bit of wind blowing to cause that anger to move to wrath and to rage and to fury. See, Eliab could have said, God, I don't don't understand it, but I trust you. God, you know what you're doing. I don't like it. But what Eliab did was he poured fertilizer on the junk in his heart, and he caused it to grow, and it blew up that day. Do you know why it's so difficult to carry um, rejection and jealousy for long periods of time? It's because they cause us to compare and compete with everyone. And when you compare and compete with everyone, there's always somebody better than you. There's always someone better looking. There's always someone who's more talented in your field. There's always someone that, that's better at whatever, right? We compare and compete, and, and that gets old. Can you imagine if he'd grown up in a, in a family that celebrated and affirmed? Oh, Eliab, yeah, you, you, were, you were rejected, and I'm sorry, and that, that hurts. But let me tell you all the things you're good at, Eliab. Let me tell you what God's going to do through you in the kingdom. Do you see how that drains the fear and rejection out? But if you, if you are comparing and competing, it just stirs up the flames. The most amazing thing in this story to me is the teenager. The teenager doesn't get caught up in arguing with his oldest brother. He just turns and goes to the next guy and says, what's, what's the king going to do for the man who shuts him up? He says, I'll shut him up. Incredible. He didn't get distracted. He alone stood up and honored God on the battlefield that day. So how did David do it? I was talking to the president of Praying Pelican this week, and we were talking about this. How did he do it? Well, oh, I left him over here. Got a couple of buckets. Sorry, I'm walking out of screen but I got a couple of buckets. I got a bucket, oh Jesus, and I have a bucket, oh anger and rejection. I wanted to put both of those in there. And you want to know how I think David was able to conquer the giant that day? Because he'd spent years out in the wilderness doing his job, drinking from the bucket, oh Jesus. Because, come on, 
when you've been in the presence of God, whether it's in your daily quiet time or whether you're, whether you're driving along listening to worship music, my favorite song right now is Lion by Elevation Music. Oh, my goodness, you hadn't heard that song, hear it. I, I was playing it so loud it made Janie angry when we were going to the wedding yesterday because it was just loud in the car. And she said, I'm getting in a bad mood. And I'm like, we're worshiping Jesus. But anyway, I'm like, I'm drinking from this bucket. I don't know what bucket you're drinking from, Janie. And I said, why don't you just turn it down? Because see, what was going on was the, the back of her car wouldn't, wouldn't um, close, and it was beeping, beep, beep, and that doesn't go off after two minutes. It was a 40-minute drive. Beep, beep. And she said, let's listen to music. I'm like, let's, please listen to music because I'm in a bad mood too. And when I start listening to Lion, and there's a part of Lion where it's so loud you can't even hear the beep, and I'm just drinking, and she said, I'm getting mad. <laughs> so David had been drinking from this bucket, but what has is, what is Eliab been drinking from? I'm going to get him. I'm just looking for the opportunity. I'm going to get him. Did Eliab get him? No, he just showed everybody the condition of his own heart. And can I give you a secret? Everybody around you already knows which bucket you're drinking from. It's wide open. You're not keeping any secrets if you're an angry person. So I put, a, I put a prayer on your listening guide, and, and I just want to go through this real quick, and we'll try to f- wrap all of this up. Because the Lord is sovereign over me, and I trust him with my life. I have yielded my rights to him. I, I put this on there because this was so profound to me when I read this. My human disappointments are now God's appointments to increase my faith and develop his character in me. And then I choose. I do what? I choose not to be controlled by anger. But to use my anger, to use anger to motivate me to do whatever God wants me to do. So let me ask you a couple of questions. How many of you fed your kids today? If you had kids, how many of you fed them today? How many of you fed them yesterday? You may have forgotten, but how many of you meant to feed them yesterday? How many of you intend to feed them tomorrow? Did those suckers ever get full? No. You have to continually feed them, right? How many of you filled up your car. Or maybe I should just say put gas in. Maybe you, you, hadn't, you didn't fill it up because we can't afford to fill it up. But how many, of you, how many of you have that little light flashing and when that light flashes, you ignore it? Oh, it'll go away. And if you have an electric car, don't call me for a ride when, when you don't have electricity, right? <laughs> here's, here's my point. The giant of anger is going to come out every morning, every afternoon, every evening, and he's going to scream at you. And if you ignore him, your anger's going to simmer, and then it's going to turn into wrath, and then it's going to turn into rage, and then it's going to turn into fury. You're going to need this prayer over and over. It's why I printed it on your listening guide. And if you're online, you can get it from our our church app. If you ever give, by the way, if you give now, it it gives you the opportunity to download our app on PushPay. Please get that because we're going to be using that more and more. The enemy is going to show up every morning, every night, and if you don't refill with the bucket of Jesus, you're in trouble. So I want you to pray it every day. Some of you need to pray it 10 times a day. Some of you need to pray it 100 times before you get out the dough today. Now, I asked Janie to get me some some stones, and so let me pick these up. There's five stones. David had five stones. We're going to have five stones to fight anger. And so the first one you're going to pick up, and you're going to own this stone is God was angry with me. This is real important. 
Because if you don't understand God was angry with you, you're going you're gonna to have a difficult time forgiving other people. You betrayed God, you belittled God, and it made God mad. <laughs> Ephesians 2, 3 says this, we all uh, once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You didn't choose God. God came choosing you, and God is a jealous God. George and I have talked about this many times. There's a good type of jealousy. There's a bad type of jealousy. The good type of jealousy is there is one woman in my life, and that's Janie Washburn, and I will defend her to the death. I also need to defend her with my life. And so I don't want some dude coming in. That's a, that's a good type of jealousy. Now, I'm not, I'm not all over you know, her schedule and tracking her every second, right? But, but I do know so she can track me, I can track her. And the reason I don't mind my wife tracking me, I'm where I say I'm going to be. I don't have any issues with that. If I tell her I'm going one place, she knows I'm going one place, right? There's a good jealousy, but there's a bad jealousy that wants to control others. God has the good jealousy for you. And there's going to be a day when the world finds out just how much he is angry at sin. And it's called the day of God's wrath. And the Bible tells us that God is slow to anger, but abounding in love. There's going to be a day, and actually the day of his wrath means a period of time, and you don't want to be here. Because when he shows up on the day of his wrath, he's going to remove all of the things that, that hold back his holiness and his justice. And he's so holy and so righteous that he will incinerate sin. And you don't want to be there for that. He's a God of wrath, but he's not a God of outrage. He never loses control. And here's the amazing part of the story. The amazing in amazing grace. In Psalm 85, 2 and 3, you forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all their sins. You set aside your wrath in Jesus and turned from your what kind of anger? A holy God cannot allow anything, any type of sin in his heaven. Either you pay your own, for your own sin, which means you will be de- apart from God forever, or you, you allow Jesus to pay for your sin and you can come into heaven. So that's number two. The second stone is God made peace with me. Isaiah 7 is, is, that, is that passage where it says, Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Everybody that was at, at our mission trip in December, the last day, they remember, that was our memory verse. Behold, a virgin will conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. See what you're missing on a mission trip? Isaiah 9, though, says this, And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of... Peace. God looked around and he said, there needs to be an authority from heaven who goes and brokers a peace treaty with people on earth. And Jesus was the only one qualified. <laughs> when we're angry, we run back to the cross where Jesus made peace between us and God. And we say, here, I can't handle it. Since God's wrath was turned away from me, there's no place for wrath in my life towards anyone else. Now, the third stone as we own this is God is my avenger. And we marvel at that. I know. Yeah, I was just seeing if you're paying attention. We are at that point where some of you check out. Here's the problem, and and this is very serious. Anger diminishes the glory of God by robbing him of what is due him. Let me show you where I get this. Romans 12, 17 says, never pay back evil with more evil. How much wiggle room is there in that N-E-V-E-R? None. 
Never Evil for evil doesn't work. The enemy says, oh yeah, evil for evil will make you feel better. He's lying. Look at this next verse. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. Who does vengeance belong to? So, you know, I've said for years, there's one thing God will not give you, and that's his glory, but I, I, I didn't realize he will not give you his vengeance either. It's his. He says, it's mine, and I will repay. See, when we have peace with God, it it enables us to give peace to others. And if you can't do anything about what somebody's done to you, you need to know this. God's going to fix it. He's promised to. And so we leave it with him. Romans 12, 18, the verse in the middle says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That means sometimes it's not possible, but you do everything possible because the boss, the Lord says, vengeance belongs to him. Fourth stone is you forgive. And I put this forth because if you don't understand those first three, you don't get to number four, and this is the stone that shuts up the giant of anger. He's got nothing. And he'll try to bring it back up, and you say, no, 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 that was buried at the cross. That one's gone. I can't hold against you any more than what God chose not to hold against me, so I release you. Shuts him up. Number four, you need to own this last truth, that God is my Abba slash Father. I didn't realize this till this week. There are three times in Scripture, and these are used together, Abba, Father. Jesus used it in Mark 14, 36. Paul uses it in Romans 8, 15, and Galatians 4, 6. And I started doing a little bit of research on this. In two languages, Abba, Father. And, and, And it is, the Abba part is Daddy, Papa God, but you need to add the father as well. Because yes, he's, he's a great father. He's a great daddy, but he's also an in-charge father who needs to be obeyed. And when I was studying this, that's what they were saying is, the reason Jesus said, Abba, Father, is because you're my dad, but I'm going to obey you. Instead of running from God and trying to hide our sins like Adam and Eve did, we run to our Abba Father and we say, here, I can't handle this, but you can and I want to obey you. If much of the root of of being angry is that we were betrayed or belittled, sometimes by a parent, many times by a parent, then you need a new Abba Father who's a perfect heavenly father. And here's what the psalmist, this is the sons of Korah, and that's a great story, but don't have time for that. Here's what they wrote about this incredible father. Sing to God, sing praise of his name, extol him who rides on the clouds. I love that. Rejoice before him. His name is the Lord, a father to the fatherless. If you got a sorry dad, he offers to be your dad. A defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. Now look at this. God sets the lonely in families. The the church is supposed to be a supplemental family. He leads out the prisoners with singing, but here, here is the part you need to pay attention to, but the rebellious. The rebellious are the ones who say, vengeance is mine. The rebellious are the ones who say, I'm not going to do anger the way that God says to do anger. The rebellious, according to our heavenly Father who rides on the clouds, will live in a sun-scorched land Is that where you want to live? No. So we better do anger God's way. Let's pray together. 
Father, I thank you that you've given us all the wisdom we need. You said that you've given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of you who calls us to your glory and your goodness. Forgive us for rejecting you, for being rebellious people, especially when it comes to anger. God, I pray that today your word would ignite the right type of fire, a fire of holiness and righteousness in your people, and we would be willing to deal with anger the way you want us to. God, some of us need to come to the cross right now and lay down our anger, our rejection, our hurt, our wounds from the past, Lord, because we've been nursing those, we've been simmering them, and it takes just the smallest amount of irritation to cause us to blow up. God, forgive us for that and convict us until we we come running to the cross with our past. And then, Lord, I pray that you heal us and you help us to be healing agents to others. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.